If you're going to do something, do it well, and I promise you, you'll be successful at it. Welcome to Teach Me Something New. I'm your host, Britt Morin, and this is a production of iHeartRadio and Britt Co. All my life, everyone's told me I should focus on being good at one thing. But the truth is, I'm curious about a lot of things. But how do you learn about everything? The answer? Make the world's best experts teach you in less than an hour. So come along with me as we all learn something new. All right, we've got a great show for you today with self-made serial entrepreneur and Bravo star, Bethany Frankel. You probably know her as one of the original cast members of The Real Housewives of New York City, as a guest shark on Shark Tank, or as a runner-up on Martha Stewart's The Apprentice spinoff show. As CEO and founder of the Skinny Girl brand and Be Strong, her disaster relief initiative, it's clear Bethany is a natural-born dealmaker and proven businesswoman. She's here to teach us all about the highs and lows of entrepreneurship, how to tune out the naysayers, and how to step into our own voice. Welcome to the show, Bethany. We're so glad you're here. Thank you so much. I'm excited. Yeah. Well, I want to start with this. I thought we could go back to the early days. I always like to know what people were like as little girls. So what was little Bethany like? Can you tell me about her? I think I was similar to the way I am now. I always beat to my own drum. I've always been independent. I was an only child and I moved around a lot. I went to so many different schools, like 13 different schools. So I was always used to being new and I was grown up very, very early. So as a little girl, I was adventurous and independent and alone a lot, very analytical because I was alone a lot. So I was sort of always coming up with my own imagination and creativity. And I saw a lot of crazy things. I worked at the racetrack as a very little kid. I would get up at five o'clock in the morning and go to the racetrack to be what they call a hot walker when they exercise the horses and then you have to wash them and cool them down. Oh, not the like driving racetrack, the horse racetrack. The horse track. Okay, cool. I was very independent as well. My parents were both working out of the house and I feel like that's what led me to be sort of entrepreneurial. Like I had to learn how to solve problems for myself at such a young age. So I feel like maybe that's something we have in common. Yes, for sure. What did you want to be when you were little? Is there anybody that you looked up to? I don't know about how little, but I did want to be an actress. But no, I don't think I had a big, strong goal set. I mean, I wasn't really, didn't have any real direction and I wasn't really on a path until my late 30s. I still don't know what I'm going to be when I grow up. I don't want to work (laughs) forever, that's for sure. And I don't really have big grand plans or a business plan or anything like that, which surprises people. But I didn't know what I wanted to be. I didn't have that sort of thing that my daughter is an artist and she knows she's an artist and that's what she wants to be. It may change, but she'll do something artistic for sure. She's a very creative person and she's a good painter and drawer and she's really passionate and dedicated. So I didn't have that. I was always just wandering and one thing to the next and I took baton and then I took gymnastics and then I took piano and then I took this. No one ever told me to stick to one thing. So I didn't. Interesting. So you just got a lot of different experiences and a lot of things. And I definitely had a lot of experience in a lot of things. I know a lot about a little. <laughs> Which maybe is good. You're, no, a little you're, about a lot. A little, a little about, about a lot. You're wide and shallow instead of narrow and deep. Yes. 
I'm the same way. I think it's why I host a podcast called Teach Me Something New. There's like no one thing I just want to go deep into. I want to know a little bit about everything. So then tell me this then, like what was the connection between adolescent Bethany, you know, dabbling in all these things and then, you know, flash forward, you are on a reality TV show and then you ultimately decided to launch a company. Like how did that all begin? Because... I've honed in on the fact that if you do anything, you do it well now. So whatever I do, I do to the best of my ability. I execute, I finish. I may not have to do it again. I've written 10 books and I'm writing another one now, but I don't have to write another one after the one. I just want to do the one. So the show, The Big Shot with Bethany that I'm producing and that I'm starring in about finding my second in command, which is on HBO Max in late April. It's an excellent, excellent show because if I'm doing it, I'm doing it. So if I'm cooking a meal, if I'm having a party, if I'm doing a, I was going to say a playlist, I've never made a playlist in my life, but if I were making a playlist, it would be a good playlist. And so the point is whatever I'm doing at the time. So if I'm on the housewives, I'm going to be in the moment and present about revealing myself and doing what's to be done then and thinking of the whole picture there. Everything I do, I do well, or I don't do it. So that's how I am with relief work. And it's exhausting and it's a nightmare and you want to get out, but I don't get out until it's done. So that's how I do things. So if I go on HSN to sell clothing all night, it's going to be good because I've already gone through 10,000 meetings about how it's supposed to be good. Doesn't mean I have to ever do it again, but if I'm going to do it, it's going to be done well. So that's sort of how I run my life. I love that mantra. And I feel like that means that there's probably a finite number of things you can do at one time where you can devote so much focus to it. Is Is that true for you? If I value anything most, it's time. I think time is the most valuable asset. So if used well, you can do a lot. If you delegate and you're organized, organization is as important as time too. If you're organized, really organized. And I mean, your drawers are organized. Your kids' toys are organized. Your refrigerator is organized. Every inch of your closet is organized. Your desk is organized. Your life, your brain, your schedule, what's going on with everything is organized. You can get a lot done, an incredible amount done. And I've had more employees and had things go worse. So just stopping something is not going to mean it's going to be successful. You have to have the right people and it comes from you. I know billionaires, literally billionaires who are not good at managing their staff and their assistants and their their disaster and they're disorganized and they're always sort of stressed out because you have to know how to manage people. Managing people is the most challenging part of a business. And so if you can manage people well, you can get a lot done, but you have to be efficient and organized and all of those things are intertwined. So I can do a lot of things, but when it gets to be too much, I say no. And no is as important as yes. And I call it the bucket theory when you want fewer buckets full. So fewer buckets full is the way to do it. Like rather have six buckets full than 20 buckets half full. Mm. I love that bucket theory. I like to use the sort of saying that I heard from Sheryl Sandberg at one point, which was, if it's not a hell yes, it's a no. So like if the thing isn't totally lighting you up inside and you're like, holy shit, I definitely want to go to that dinner or I definitely want to do that new job, then it's a no, right? It's like you have to feel that energy about the thing that you want to be doing. Well, I'm not very social, so you have to pick your spots. You can't be successful, tan, organized, in shape, wealthy, look good, sleep. You can't do everything at the same time. So you're often doing many things at the same time and then not doing other things. 
but I don't have a big social life and I combine, I'm a stacker. I stack what I'm doing in my personal life and I stack what I'm doing with what I'm doing in my professional life. So if I go do a big photo shoot day and I'm wearing hair and makeup, then I'll say, all right, let's go out for a drink. So I feel like I've checked the social box (laughs) or I'll go out for a dinner and then that's that. And I stack business and then I stack relaxation. Oh, I'm going to start doing that. (laughs) Having done a lot of that during COVID, I guess you've had to figure out how to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, basically it's the quality versus quantity. It's just, you can't fit 20 pounds of shit in a five pound bag. So you got to pick your spot. Yeah. So for everyone listening, I think it's important to hear from those that we respect and admire and to know that success doesn't happen overnight. So similar to the working at the racetrack, what were some of the other less glamorous jobs you had before you became a successful entrepreneur? I've licked envelopes. I've worked at a bakery. I've been a cocktail waitress. I've been a waitress. I've been a hostess. I have been a personal assistant to many people. I've really never asked anybody to do anything that I haven't done, which is why the big shot with Bethany is going to be interesting because I've done it all. So I understand what it takes. I've worked for Kathy Hilton. I've worked for Linda Bruckheimer. I have, you know, done it all. And back in the time when we didn't count overtime, we didn't wait for our break or three weeks vacation or anything like that. You just worked. You were happy to have a job. I think I read that. So you were Paris Hilton's nanny and you were also, this is very important to me, a PA on the set of Saved by the Bell. Is that right? I was a PA on the set of Saved by the Bell. I was Kathy Hilton's assistant and taking Paris and Nikki to and from school and to go to the pet store and to shop and things like that. So sort of nanny responsibilities, but I wasn't their, you know, primary child caregiver aside from their parents. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So how did all of those things, waitressing, licking envelopes, set up Saved by the Bell, instill in you the values that you still carry on today? I'm a worker. I mean, you're a worker or you're not. You're independent or you're not. And you need to be working within a team or you can be a lone wolf, maverick on your own. And every job you do, you can't think it's beneath you. And back to what I said before, if you're going to do it, you have to do it well, even if it's getting coffee, uh, making copies at Saved by the Bell, which I've done. So each job gives you some skill set that you had no idea that you would ever need until now. Mm-hmm. I produce events for Merv Griffin. I mean, one of the reasons I'm so successful is probably because I've done so many different things. So people mm-hmm. are worried they want to be exactly where they're supposed to be locked in instead of being flexible and just seeing the road for what it is, you know, and just Mm -hmm. making lefts and making rights and shifting and all that. Totally. I agree. My first job was I worked at a tennis pro shop. I had never played tennis before. (laughs) And my job was really to like answer phones, schedule people's courts. And I worked at a retail counter, which by the way, I feel like everyone should work in retail, right? Because you're learning hospitality, people skills, 
I think you're starting to learn a little bit about the business of wholesale versus retail and buying and inventory and all of those things. But then one day I got asked to fill in for a tennis instructor who couldn't come that day to teach at kids camp. And I was like, I've never played tennis. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I know I'm athletic. I played soccer. And so it was in that moment that I had to just put on the mask and be like, okay, I am a tennis instructor today. You know, there's a little bit of acting that goes into some of these jobs, right? Which I think is very true for being an entrepreneur. And I'm trying to instill that in so many of these women that are coming through our self-made course, because at the beginning, you really don't know what you're doing at all. You're like Googling things on the side, trying to figure out what does EBITDA stand for? Like, what are all these different acronyms I'm hearing? But you've got to pretend like you've got it all together, right? You've got to sort of show up with the confidence to help others believe in you. So is there a little bit of that that you learned as well, maybe throughout even some of your entertainment career that's helped you on the entrepreneurship side? I mean, I wrote this in my book, A Place of Yes, that never assume anyone is smarter than you. So whether it's a doctor or a travel agent or a lawyer, I've had so many things that I've had to clean up from lawyers and had better ideas than them. Shocking. So the point is that you have to think for yourself and go with your gut instinct. So if you're going to do something, I mean, teaching tennis, you know, most people, I guess, teaching a spinning class or yoga class or maybe a tennis instructor aren't playing tennis to their best. They're not playing, they're teaching it. So I guess in that case, you could say, okay, I have to do this. So I have to figure out how to do it. Figure it out is my biggest tip in business. Place of yes, get it done. I don't care how the sausage gets made. So I don't think it's pretending. I think it's more just saying, okay, I've got to do this. So I'm going to figure it out. My first big event that I ever produced was a million dollar budget event on Alcatraz, where the prison is, Hmm. which is a separate island. And you had to barge over electricity and it was an impossible logistical event to do. And I'd never produced an event in my life. But I mean, you figure it out. I've done 10 renovations. I don't know how to build a house. I don't know how to put cardboard together and make a closet, but I could (laughs) delegate and figure out how somebody else could do it or get somebody over here to look it up online. So the point is, you know, I never once did relief work in my life and I've done a hundred million dollars of relief work, including millions and millions of dollars of PPE nationwide. So I just figured it out. We did a disaster relief, one of the largest disaster relief initiatives in history in the US, private ones, and we just figured it out. I love it. And I feel like it's not about the education you go get in school. I mean, that's important, but like you can learn so many things if you just start working. In fact, I got my first job the day I turned 16 And I have had a job ever since, even in my first year of college, you know, there are a bunch of people who say like, don't get a job when you first enter college because you need to like enjoy the college experience and all of those things, which I think is real. But I felt like I was wasting time if I wasn't learning what the real world was like in this four year period of my life where I could be experiencing both, right? The education and the real world of work. So I want to talk to you about how you actually started Skinny Girl, which is probably a brand that many know you so well for. Where did that idea begin? How did you get it started? And what were some of the biggest hurdles you had to overcome in the early days? I believe in simple ideas and Skinny Girl was a practical solution, which is what the entire brand is about. It was calories in margaritas were astronomical and women love drinking margaritas. And so I just wanted to make it a margarita that you could trust where it was delicious enough, 
but not too sweet where you didn't trust it and wasn't going to have a terrible hangover. So that's how the Skinny Girl Margarita was born. It's not really about the idea because the idea is simple and many people have ideas. It was really about the execution of the idea and realizing that Sarah Jessica Parker made the Cosmopolitan famous and popular, but didn't monetize that. And hearing from bartenders that everyone was ordering the drink the way that I made it and that I was making women drink tequila because women hadn't been drinking tequila since brown tequila in college, but women weren't drinking (laughs) high-end tequila. So everyone started drinking tequila and bartenders were saying everyone's ordering that drink. So it was finding just the one person who would say yes and do it and help me execute. And I didn't have enough money for a real lawyer. It was sort of a lawyer that didn't specialize in this. It could have been a veterinarian or a dentist for all I knew. (laughs) But basically, he was the first guy willing to paper this deal. And later in life, that was a great deal. And now my deals are so much more complicated and take six months. And that took six minutes. And it was one of the best deals I've ever made. And it obviously changed my life. But I hammered it in. I mean, it could have failed a million times. I was asked whether I wanted to do licensing or equity. And I said, what does that mean? Licensing, you get money now. Equity, you have skin in the game. I was living in a studio apartment in the city, furnished by Ikea. Equity, you get skin in the game, but there's way more risk, but it's all you and it's all upside, but you're not getting any money now. Thank God I said, I'll take that deal because I want skin Mm -hmm. in the game because this is my ace in the hole. And I was really pretty broke. So I then pushed it through. I mean, we couldn't get glass in China. We couldn't keep up with the demand. My partner didn't spend money ahead of the brand. So we didn't have enough to go around. The brand would have been sold for $500 million if it was today with how many cases we were doing, maybe even a billion. We were doing so many cases, but I was the maverick. I was definitely the first woman to ever turn a brand in the liquor space. But the only people really in that space were Sammy Hagar, Diddy, Dan Aykroyd on a less successful level, and Danny DeVito. Celebrities used to not hold cocktails because it was a bad look to hold a cocktail. Mm. You didn't want to be seen in a picture. So I was the first ever ready to drink low calorie cocktail. I was the fastest growing liquor brand in history at the time. It was insane, but it was all passion. You know, I would tell my partner, get me a shrink wrapped car, shrink wrap this car. And I'm putting it on the show and he'd say, what? And he bought because it was $18,000. And I said, just, you got to listen to me. So you need good partners because I knew what my role was and he knew what his role was, which was operations. And mine was the vision and the marketing and the pushing it through. And I said, if we build it, they will come. But the smartest thing that I ever did in business is when I sold the cocktail portion of Skinny Girl to Beam, which I do not own anymore, they wanted the whole brand, just like when Grey Goose bought the whole brand, just like when Cabo Wabo from Sammy Hagar sold to Bacardi, just like when every brand has ever sold to anybody, they take the whole brand. I said, no. I said, you Mm. can have the liquor piece. You are a liquor company. You don't need the rest. So I kept the whole pizza. I own Skinny Girl. I kept the Ah. pizza. I gave them one slice. I kept nine slices. Oh, that's so interesting. I actually didn't realize that. And, And also, I love that you touched on the fact of equity versus licensing, because I think so many, especially if they're bootstrapping, just want that early, easy dollar. Whereas... If you do keep your skin in the game, and I come from a venture capital Silicon Valley background here in the San Francisco Bay area, I mean, five or 10 years in, to your point, $500 million, a billion dollars, like the potential for you to even own 10% of a billion dollar company is going to far outpace what you could have from a licensing business. That's just a good It's easy to say when you have money, when you don't have any money, which I didn't. 
it's not as easy to say, but I didn't even know what the hell he was talking about when he said that. So I <laughs> just said the skin in the game one sounds right. I didn't realize I'd never make a dollar until I sold. So that I doesn't see. usually work for people. And that totally. was a year later. So I have many licensing businesses. I have many licensing partnerships. That one was the big one for me. And I just felt it inside. And I'm going to do it again now in the cocktail business because my non-compete is up in a different brand. But different categories require different decisions. And you are alone in your business decisions. My lawyers did not think of that. I thought of that. My lawyers did not think of asking me. I had a back-end deal and I stayed in in that deal. So I had to promote Skinny Girl Margarita and the products that existed. So I said, Mm. what if they come up with something I don't like? And they said, well, we're buying it. I said, right, but now I own the rest of this brand. So what if you want me to promote something? You guys could do it, but what if I don't like it? So then they said, okay. And I put a clause in saying that I don't have to promote something non-existing and that I don't like. And here are some carve-outs. Here are some ones that I will promote. Mm-hmm. And then they wanted to do vodka and wine. And I didn't want to do it. And so they said, well, we want you to promote it. And I said, well, I don't want to do that. You'll have to pay me. And they said, we already bought the brand. You can't buy the brand twice. I said, well, great. Do it without me. So they ended up having to pay me again, pay me per case. No one really knows that story. They had to pay me per case for years to promote vodka and wine. So I doubled it. Interesting. Oh, and I feel like a lot of people give up during those moments. I've faced some of that on a smaller scale and the complexity, the back and forth, it takes so long. Like in these business deals that are really big deals, sometimes I feel like it's just about sheer exhaustion and then people give in ultimately is what I see. But it feels like you really stood your ground and you're like, sorry, like no deal if you don't go along with my way. Well, you know, at the very last minute, I didn't want to do the deal, but I was being a little bit emotional and I just thought I could take the brand so far. But I did the deal not for money, for street cred, because I mean, I was a reality star, not taken seriously at all in the real world, in the real business world. And it put me on the cover of Forbes and they created a clause in the entertainment industry called the Bethany Clause, which means that after what happened with me, everybody started saying that if you're signing up for a reality show, you have to give a portion of your business profits to the network. So I sort of was, Mm. I created a clause called the Bethany clause. So I did the business because I thought that I could take the rest of the brand and they would be paying the $18 million at the time in marketing to market something that I owned. And I also thought it would give me the street cred. And I also thought if I get swallowed or sued or something goes wrong, I won't be able to afford it. And cheater brands will come. And if it's such a good idea and it's the fastest growing liquor brand, then they're going to all copy me because all these other companies had asked me to do spokesperson deals and had said that I cracked the code, which no one does. And remember, this is long, long before Ryan Reynolds and George Clooney and Nicki Minaj and Sofia Coppola and everyone and their mother getting into the cocktail business. How much do you think that the brand played into that? It sort of denotes the target audience. It says what the product is in the brand word itself. Like as you are giving advice to entrepreneurs, how important is their brand name? I mean, Apple is a computer and and they seem to be doing fairly well. Uh, Blackberry, (laughs) also a fruit. That's funny. Maybe that's why they call it Blackberry. I never thought of that until now. Maybe because it was another (laughs) fruit. I don't know. I'm a literal person. So I like things to be very, very described and laid out very simply. And I like an elevator pitch. And I also believe that things are more crowded now And there's so many messages being sent that it's easy to understand what's going on. And I'm very good at naming things. So I like a double entendre often. So I think a name is important in communication, especially when you're smaller in the game. But I don't know that it necessarily has to be 
so literal. I mean, it depends on what the product is. Cars have weird names that we don't understand. And, you know, so do fashion brands. Right. And many of them even have like names in other languages, like <laughs> Honda, Mitsubishi, you know? Yeah, exactly. They're, I'm just thinking of so many brand names that I don't know what the hell they mean. <laughs> if you were starting over again, if you were a new entrepreneur and let's pretend you hadn't had any fame or success before, how would you go about starting a company in 2021 and getting hype? Oh, as dreadful as it is, and as much as I hate it, I think you would have to really try to be creative with social media. You'd have to be connecting. You would have to realize that networking is easier than you think, that everyone is accessible, that you can get through someone through messaging, through commenting, through reading through a magazine and seeing who wrote something, through looking at a TV credits and seeing who produced something, through being your own publicist. It's easier than you would think. That's what I did. Mm -hmm. So just trying to get hype wherever you can is kind of the answer. Hype is hype. Hard work is hard work. If you're good and you communicate and you back it up, it will go a long way. You know, there's so much hype right now, so much filter, so much superficiality. Actually working hard, having something good that's quality, providing a service that's high quality, it's so rare. In everything, in a caterer, in a real estate broker, in a doctor, in a designer, in a person cleaning your home, in a person giving you a massage, acupuncture, be good, work hard, do your best. Most people don't work hard and most people are just good enough. So Mm. if you're going to do something, do it well. And I promise you, you'll be successful at it. Right. It's like the stakes. One person at a time. The bar has never been lower to start a business. But because of that, to your point, it's like super saturated. And a lot of people are doing it decently. But those that are doing it with like the highest amount of quality, service, effort, working their ass off like you did and like I did when I was getting started are the ones that will probably prevail. And it comes back to the product, right? I found these people while doing the big shot with Bethany. I couldn't believe how on it they were. I mean, if you're a person who says, I'm on it, I've got this, I come from a place of yes, and you figure out a way to execute, you'll be successful because most people don't do that and most people don't back it up. So So it's old school. I don't say this about everything. I'm not telling everyone to get their fax machine out and start doing deals on the facts. But I am saying that I find that most people don't work hard enough and they don't work smart. You have to be efficient and you have to think and you have to work smart. Like just look at the whole board, look at it all and try to think of what could happen, what couldn't happen, but just do your best, do well. Like most people good enough is, I promise you. I see people, well, I don't know. Like there's no sense of urgency. There's a lack of intention. So I was really thrilled to see a lot of that on the show and then to see some people who have it. I can't wait to watch the show. I just want to know like how you are calibrating these people and what skill sets they have that the majority don't. Well, it's not about a resume for me. It's about being smart, thinking smart, working wisely and working efficiently and being organized and just figuring it out. So that's what it is for me. But I've never listened to a podcast in my entire life. And I went to do my podcast, but I decided myself what the line that everything would adhere to would be, what the brand of the podcast would be, with who the guests would be, not meaning their names, what filter they would go through Mm. to be on it. You have to be a game Mm -hmm. changer. You have to be a maverick. You have to be a brand builder. So I stuck to that. And people said to me, no, have this person on who's famous. And I said, no, I'd rather not do it than do it poorly. And then some guests, major guests said they needed the questions in advance. And I stuck to my guns. I said, I'd rather not have them on than not do it my way. 
My point is, I'd never done that before, but I just decided to have a point of view and stick to my guns about it. And mm-hmm. it works. You know, if things aren't working, you have to shift. Same thing happened with my television show. I wasn't sure how it was going in the beginning. And I thought to myself, I don't know if this is going great. And I'm going to shut this down because I'm not just going to go along with it. And everyone was telling me that everything was okay. And I knew everything wasn't okay. And I shifted it immediately and had to really buckle down. Decisions are just your own. I mean, leaving the housewives, everyone told me to stay. Doing the housewives every year, everyone told me to run. And I don't do the opposite for the sake of it. It just means I decided I could look at things and decide what my Mm. future would be and what I needed to do. And I'm the only one who can make those kind of decisions. And Mm. so you have to think clearly. And sometimes you make the wrong decision, but you can make it the right decision because you've gotten off the highway and you've gone down that road. So Mm -hmm. make that route work for you. Stop somewhere, do something interesting, make that wrong turn right. I think a lot of a pandemic, an illness, a surgery, meditate, self-care, think, process, do things on paper, you know, be with your kids, whatever it is, figure it out, make it work for yourself. That's what a place of yes really is. Having worked with thousands of entrepreneurs, most of which are female, I have noticed how one of the largest discrepancies between women and men in terms of entrepreneurship, but also in life, is the inability to be decisive. There's a lot of wishy-washy like, oh, I think it might not be the right TV show for me, but they told me I should stick with it, so maybe I will. And like, there's a lot that goes into making a quick fast, hard decision, which I'm gathering that (laughs) you are really good at. But a lot of people sit and stew until they feel like some real calling or some act of courage inside of them to take a big leap to make a decision. So what is your advice for those people who might not have clarity, but probably need to change something about their life? Well, for example, my friend has been talking about doing her house for a couple of years and doing her closets. And she just doesn't dive in. And she thinks there's some wizard that's going to tell her the right material for a countertop or some tile or some wallpaper. And the truth is it's like cooking. You could take out a piece of chicken or a piece of fish or whatever you're cooking. You could mix olive oil, lemon and garlic. You could do olive oil, lime and garlic. You could do cilantro, (laughs) you could do basil, you could do parsley. You could pick any item with those things. There will be things that will not be good. Actually, Fruit Loop cereal probably would go well with chicken because you can make some version of <laughs> crusted tilapia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the point is, you make a decision, you get something on the board, and then work around that. But you see so many design magazines, and you see gorgeous wallpaper with this. How did they think of that with this amazing desk? You know why? Because they slapped spaghetti against the wall. It worked. It doesn't work. <laughs> Take the desk away. You know, it's not that deep. There's so many different ways that things can work. So get on the road, make a decision, and keep it moving. But I am a decider. I make good decisions though. I'm not rash. I think about it. I may ask a couple of people and then ultimately decide what I want to do, but you got to make a decision. You can't be paralyzed. Paralysis is the worst. Just get out of yeah. the gray. There's no gray. It's black or white. So then you can make the next decision. Right. A lot of us know you as a guest shark from Shark Tank. So what do you look for in an investment and what makes for a solid pitch? A solid pitch is concise, clear, and takeaway. Like, here's what I'm pitching. Here's why, the who, what, where, when, and why. Okay. And I mean, obviously you look for things that solve a problem that make life a little bit easier, that create a solution. That's what you look for in a business. And you look for the person, the driver of the car though. You know, 
SoulCycle was spinning, but SoulCycle made it SoulCycle. Cold Stone Creamery was Steve's ice cream. Well, they used to mash on your ice cream, but Cold Stone made it, you know, a brand. It's the execution of the idea. Maybe the Winklevoss twins thought of Facebook. I don't know. But Mark Zuckerberg was the executor. So mm-hmm. there are many ways to do this and many people that could do the same thing. Ideas are a dime a dozen. The execution is not a dime a dozen. That's very valuable and rare. And that's what I'm talking about, hard work. Who's driving mm-hmm. the ship? You got to be able to step back, delegate, and trust the people around you are going to do what they're going to do. But you will find that managing people is the hardest part about a business by far. Yeah, for sure. And I agree with you. There are so many of the questions I get are, I'm afraid to tell anyone about my business idea because I don't want them to copy me. Or Britt, will you sign an NDA so you can give me feedback about my business? And I'm like, why? The, like, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Uber and Lyft started at the same time. And guess what? They're both massive businesses. They do similar things. That industry is huge. Look at how many beverage brands are out there, to your point, even in, I mean, how in many, the alcohol how many, space. How many interior designers are there? Everybody's an event planner. Everyone's an interior designer. Everyone has an organizing business. Most of them are terrible. The person who comes over here and does it the best is going to be the one that I'm going to post about and say they're great in any of those businesses. Same thing I said before about real estate brokers. Anything you do, just do it well. It's so impossible to believe, but most people don't do that. Do it well and figure it out. So it's a long race. I mean, I don't know if Red Bull does as much as Monster and Red Bull was first. I know that Fahe, Fahe or whatever it was called, that yogurt doesn't Mm -hmm. do as well as Chobani. And they were first, but nobody remembers that. They remember who was biggest. That's why I had to do my deal because when Cuervo came in and copied me with a skinnier margarita, they're going to remember the one who was the biggest. Not that I was first. No one's going to care. By the way, no one remembers in the liquor industry that I paved the way for all these people because they're coming in hot now. So, you know, that'll suck too. People copy you and people will be bigger and later and no one will remember you, but you know, it's okay. I remember you. Don't worry. <laughs> I drank skinny girl from the earlier days. I'm a Texas girl, by the way. So I definitely drank my tequila. So let's switch gears a bit. As someone in the public eye, can you talk to us about how to filter out criticism? How do you keep from letting negativity impact your confidence? People are just nasty. And now we have more places to see that happen. So you cannot believe the love. You can't be like, everyone loves me and everyone thinks it's great and be excited and then be miserable when everyone hates it. So you got to be right down the middle of it. And the truth is you have to play your own game, stay in your own lane, not focus to the left or the right on what everyone else is doing. If I did that, I wouldn't be the pioneer out of that group of housewives that have all tried to recreate what I've done or copy what I've done or come behind me. No one was monetizing anything on reality television before I was, but I wasn't looking around to see if anyone was approving or disapproving or what anyone else was doing or what they thought. I knew what I was doing. And I was keeping my cards close to the vest and I wasn't connecting dots at every pass, which people are tempted to always do. And it's a mistake. I'm fiercely private, which is shocking because I'm a reality star, Mm. fiercely private. So if you're going to think about that, you're not going to be good at this. You have to be a person who just doesn't think about that. But if five people tell you the same thing that you trust, I mean, Dave Portnoy said he doesn't care about what anybody says, but if people he trusts tell him something's a bad idea or he's done something wrong, they're going to think about it. That being said, everyone told me not to leave the housewives and it was absolutely the right idea. So you have to be strong enough to even hear five Mm. no's and give yourself a yes. Everyone told me not to do the Skinny Girl Margarita. I asked the head of Bacardi and he said, there's never going to be, I said, it's an FU brand. He said, there's no such thing as an FU brand. You're never going to make real money doing this. Nobody cracks through. Mm. If I had listened to him, you know, it would be a very different story. Right. And on the flip side of that, you are fairly notorious for speaking 
your mind. So would you say you've always been outspoken and confident in your own voice? Like, was that something you learned along the way? I've always been outspoken and confident in my own voice. I've become more known for that. I tend to be smart and know what I'm talking about and can think on my feet. I have done some things that other people perceive to be mistakes. I've gotten myself into the mud or into the weeds and had to hold the steering wheel very tight to try to see if I was going to crash or get off the road safely. And that's part of being a strong business person and being a strong woman, mother, brand owner. I mean, you have to get through the shit sometimes. I mean, Mike Tyson said, everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the face. So every (laughs) major entrepreneur has been punched in the face. And when you get punched in the face, what do you do? Do you stay down? Do you get up? Do you try to get out of it? Do you try to heal? Do you fight back? What do you do? That's when decisions are really important and you really have to experience critical thinking. And I happen to be great in a crisis. So I would rather be honest and get in trouble and be canceled than be a watered down, diluted, fake, phony version of myself. And people have become clones now. Everybody says the thing they're supposed to say, it's freedom of speech and everyone's so free now and you can say and be whatever you want, but you can't. You have to follow a script that everybody's saying. Otherwise, you're going to get canceled and it's total bullshit. Mm. It's ridiculous. So, Mm. But you have to ride the line and you have to find a way to say things. You have to find out how you say something is more important than what you're saying. Mm, interesting, especially in social media culture these days, because everywhere in well, business, in a conference room, in social media, in yeah. marketing, everything. It's how you say something. Yeah. Especially in text. Like you can't tell the tone of text or an image in text. And like I could say something so endearing. This happens to me and my husband all the time, by the way, <laughs> for text where I'm like, were you going to leave the dishes out this morning for me or did you want to do them? And I just clearly wanted to know like if I was supposed to do them or him. And he's like, oh, so now we're going to like fight about the dishes because it's COVID and we're all like anxious anyway. And I'm like, what? So we've actually reverted to audio message more lately because he can actually tell the tone I'm asking is actually a helpful one. And anyway, I think And Marco that- Polo is good too. Marco Polo, I love for sure. But what are the ways that everyone here listening can practice stepping into their own voice more? What if they're, you know, pretty shy and insecure about saying how they feel? What are some tips you can give them to practice? I mean, don't say too much because this is not the culture and the temperature and the time to start, you know, running your mouth off. But to think before you speak, to be calm, cool, and collected, to be concise. I have helped so many people write letters when they're writing, let's say, to an ex or you're dealing with a sensitive situation or to be a good communicator. So less is more people drone on and create narratives and wax poetic and all this stuff versus just being lean, be lean in what you're saying. And yeah, I mean, understand that someone could be reading your texts and your emails and it could happen. So be thoughtful in what you're saying, which sucks, but communicate your point. You're allowed to have an opinion. You're allowed to have a strong opinion. It's the way you say it. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so we know that philanthropy is a huge part of your work. And we heard you're also now giving back to small business owners through a new grant program. So can you tell us more about this grant and how small business owners can apply? You could go to Scotch Brand slash Ship It Forward and you can nominate a small business that you want to get private coaching from me, financial assistance, and shipping products. Scotch Brand and I have partnered because 
they are very efficient and they sort of practice all these business practices that I'm talking about, about being organized, delegating, executing. So they're a brand that's also right in the moment with what's going on with small businesses, which Be Strong, our initiative has helped hundreds of small businesses with loans and PPE across the country. And we've just cracked $100 million in aid. 100% goes to the effort. So philanthropy has been a big part of my career. And it's been a great partnership to work with them because we have the same sort of mindset about that. Mm -hmm. I love that you're doing this. I think it's so helpful for getting people off the ground. Hopefully, this will propel them forward and give them the fundraising that they need to actually get started making that recurring revenue. Help can really make or break a business right now. A small business is a seesaw, teeter-tottering, because it's impossible to begin with. So especially with a blow like this, it's a great place to be focused. And you coaching them, which might be the most amazing part of the whole deal, by the way. And they're investing in the economy. You know, you're investing in building back small businesses, creates jobs and builds the economy. I mean, it's sort of a circular positive reference. So if you had the chance to start your career over again, what would you do differently? I'm just so not a person that believes in regrets. So nothing would change. I couldn't have started earlier. What a crazy ride. I mean, I was in LA trying to be an actress and said, why can't I just be myself? How do I find a career on television and entertainment where I could be myself? When I was a little kid, I used to say to my mother, why can't there be a show where they just film your house like 24 hours a day in your house? And she would say, there'd be a lot of time sleeping and boring. They probably couldn't afford to do that all the time. And then reality TV was born. So I couldn't have rushed the process. You can't rush the sauce. You got to just be where you are. And I think it's great to be able to tell people that I didn't know what I was going to do until my late thirties. So what would I do differently? I mean, I would say my problems have been in my personal life and my personal relationships and decisions there that I would do differently. But business-wise, what a great career. What a great story path that I have. I'm much better at business than personal. I'm an excellent mother. But in my past, I've made a lot of personal mistakes, but I came from a screwed up childhood. So I didn't know what I was doing. The thing that you said that resonated with me the most was that you feel like now you could start any business that you wanted, which is a big statement because I think it says that you've literally mastered so many skills. You know about all different types of business models and industries. But more than that, you've built that internal dialogue within yourself that is just going to go figure it out, that is just able to use the network you have, the experiences you have to dive into whatever you want to do next, which I think is so liberating for all of us who are listening and hearing from you to think about for our own future. So I hope that that becomes a goalpost for all of us at some point in our lives who are building up the entrepreneurial skill sets that you have. I want to end with a quick lightning round. We love hearing about what's inspiring our guests right now. So we have a few questions, just blurt out what comes first to mind. The first one, hopefully, is a softball. Latest TV binge. Latest TV binge was Finishing Homeland. I want to start all over again. Oh, interesting. Okay, what helps you feel creative? What one thing can you do to get you in a creative mindset? To get yourself in a creative mindset, You need to practice self-care, relaxing, stepping away, walking on the beach, sleeping, exercising, doing nothing. You can't have good creative thoughts when crowded. And my best creative thoughts between sleep and wake and wake and sleep, because I'm an intense person who's always thinking. So if you let the machine rest, that's when it can really regroup and function better. And so you have to 
not be that American grinder that's never relaxing and money never sleeps. And you have to be a person who practices self-care. Yeah. One thing people don't know about Real Housewives. One thing people don't know about Real Housewives is how toxic it is. Oh, I'm going to leave it at that. (laughs) I'm going to let people use their imagination. Okay. Your go-to meal to cook during the pandemic? My go-to meal to cook during the pandemic. That's a good one. Probably a frittata or a good, like, interesting omelet. Mm. I was making a lot of omelets. And avocado mm. toast with a poached egg on top. Oh, yum. And scoop out fa- bagel. Always a bagel. A scoop, a what bagel? Like, you'd scoop out the inside and toast it. Because I'm like, I like the butter to really be, like, in there. <laughs> I love that. Okay. I'm going to have to follow up on that one. And what about your favorite mantra or words to live by? Come from a place of yes. Ooh. As in, we can figure it out. Yeah, <laughs> you can go, do it all. Yeah, figure it out. Yeah, I feel like figure it out is your new mantra that I'm going to attach to you. Okay, lastly, we end every show with a piece of homework for our listeners. So what assignment would you give to those listening for the week ahead? Be able to describe your brand in a brief elevator pitch and not your resume. Because I had some TikTokers that have 30 million followers and they were like, I did this and I'm doing that and we're working on this. What is the brand? Though? What is the brand? Everything should adhere to that line. And if it doesn't, then you'll shift and change it. But what you know what your brand is. Skinny Girls, Practical Solutions for Women. Bethany is Elevated Solutions for Women. Bethany, thank you so much. This was so fun. Where can we find you on social media or anywhere else that where we can see what's coming up for you? All of the things. Bethany Frankel on Instagram and on TikTok and on Twitter. Love it. That's our show for today. If you enjoyed what you heard, let us know by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss what we're learning next. See ya. Thanks for listening to Teach Me Something New, a production of iHeartRadio and Brit Co. I'm your host, Britt Morin. Find more information about each episode at Brit.co slash listen. You can also find me on social media. I'm at Brit or follow us at Brit and Co. Teach Me Something New is executive produced by Ali Ives and Ali Perry with additional production and sound design by Mark Lemmerjazy and Aaron Peterson.